Yeah, thank you, worship team, for a beautiful, beautiful song. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team. And sometimes we are at a loss for words with all that's happening in the world right now, all that's happening in Hong Kong. So thank you, worship team, for leading us into God's presence. Thank you, Andrew, Phoebe, and Daniel, for sharing about what community means to you, one of our core values here. And thank you, Pearl, for just the beautiful prayers. Uh, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. This is our last session on This Is Us and part two of Men and Women in the Church. I hope that you have enjoyed um, this journey about our vision and our values. These last two weeks are about how we function with women in all levels of leadership and being pastors here at Community. And it's been a little bit different form than our normal preaching, but I hope it's been helpful for you. Um, we have a quiz, I think, in a note section as well that a link will come up for you if you want to access that. There'll be notes in that section about some of the passages I just don't have time to cover in the sermon today. Um, so you want to go ahead and, and dive into that. Take the quiz, uh, see how you do, um, because I think it's been helpful. I've heard from several of you that this has been a helpful way to engage it. And so do um, take advantage of that. So a little bit of a recap on where we were last week. Um, and if we'll move forward on the slides here. Um, we want to look at how do we interpret the Bible. And first is to know the big story, know the journey of God's, you know, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And number two is, is what did it mean to the original audience? Um, what did it mean to that context, to that culture? Um, because if we don't understand what it meant to them, then it's really difficult to understand what it means to us. Now, I've heard from some people in terms of, how do, why do I need to know the culture? Why do I need to know about what it meant to them back then? And so um, hopefully that was made clear last week and will be made clear today. But um, I was asking for John Tang's help with this in terms of, of Chinese idioms. And you'll see this next one come up on the slide here. Now, I don't read... Chinese, but this is the translation of the Chinese here. Do not do to others as you would not wish done to yourself. And this here is something I can understand what this means. It's sort of what I would call the silver rule versus the golden rule, but I understand it. I get it. I, I don't so much have to know the culture or the context that it came from. And sometimes scripture is that way. It's just very easy to sort of understand it. But there are other things that are more difficult to understand. So I want to go to the, the next one here. Now, the literal translation is making three visits to a thatched hut. And if you know the context of this, maybe this makes sense to you. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, but John was telling me this comes from the stories from the romance of the tree kingdom. And then I would understand the meaning. And the real meaning is this means that you are sincere in asking for help. So if I don't know the context, I don't know what this means. And then one final one here um, use straw boats to borrow arrows, right? So again, I don't know what that means, right? Because I don't know the context of it. Even though I can understand the words of the translation, I don't get at the meaning, okay? And um, this is considered a very smart move to do this, um, using these grass boats to get arrows from the enemy. 
Okay, so I hope that was helpful and why it's under why it's important for us to know what it meant to the original audience because as I was quoting John Walton last week, the Bible was written for us, but not to us. We're not the original recipient, so we need to unpack that. And then finally, what is the genre of it? Is it poetry? Is it a letter? Um, what did it um, you know, is it narrative? Is it gospel? What is the context of the actual writing? Okay, let's move on. So Paul is writing to a very patriarchal culture at the time. And that was as a result of the fall. It was a consequence of the fall. Patriarchy was not the ideal condition. But Paul himself is very progressive for what he is writing in his writings. He affirms women in all levels of leadership. And his teaching on equality was not the norm for society. Okay. The second point I want to make this morning before we jump into our first passage is Paul is talking about a traditional view of marriage in the first century in Middle East Asia Minor. And so you might be thinking, how does talking about traditional marriage apply to me if that's not my context? Maybe I'm single. Maybe I'm divorced. Maybe I'm in a same-sex relationship. Maybe I'm widowed. Maybe I'm not looking to get married. Or maybe I'm in a troubled relationship, or maybe I'm married to a non-Christian. What does this have for me today? And my hope and prayer is, is that this passage will speak to all of us. We'll take it as we approach it, um, but we'll also pray that God will use this passage to speak to us no matter where we might be um, on that continuum, because it really is a passage of talking about how do we relate to one another. Okay? Does that make sense? Now, before we jump into that passage, I want to ask you, and I love the, the comment section um, in the YouTube chat, I, I wonder what it might be like when we're back in person and we just call out our affirmations in the middle of the service or a middle of a song or a prayer would be, uh, it would be quite a different context, but I love being able to see it as we go um, in the service. So which of these are in the Bible of these statements here? The husband is the head of the home. The husband is the spiritual leader of the home. The husband is the leader of the wife, and the husband is the spiritual leader of the wife. The husband is the head of the wife. Which of these are in the Bible? If you're brave, put it into the chat section there. Which ones of these? Are all of them there? Are none of them there? Are some of them there? Now, I've heard each one of these um, in my journey um, in faith as, as being in the Bible. But I'll tell you this, not all of them are in the Bible. All right, the big reveal here. Only one of them is in Scripture. The husband is the head of the wife. And that's the first passage we're going to look at today. Before we do, let's pray. God, I thank you that you are here in our midst. And I pray that your Holy Spirit is opening up your word to us today, that no matter where we might be um, from this week that we've had, that we would meet you in this place, that your spirit would be speaking to us and helping us to understand how to be faithful followers of you, Jesus. So we bring this text to you, God. We bring our hearts and our minds. May you speak into us today. Amen. All right, so our passage is, primary passage is in Ephesians 5 today, um, starting with verse 21. Verse 21 says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, I talked a little bit about translations last week, and I just want to make a small note here. Um, 
some translations separate verse 21 from verse 22. And if they do, it's sort of a, it's sort of a giveaway that they're really emphasizing a patriarchal view. Um, and because these are clearly connected. So I just want to make that note. If you look at your translations and they're separated, that should be a, a clue to you of where they're coming from. Verse 22, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ in the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband." All right, that might be a familiar passage to you. I love Paul saying that this is a profound mystery, and marriage can often be a profound mystery. Um, but let's dig in um, to what this might be saying. So if we go back um, to verse 21, we'll see here that submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is sort of the umbrella for understanding this passage, okay? Now, the wife's submission is one facet of mutual submission. It's each voluntarily yielding in love. And I loved um, part of Pearl's prayer there where she said, may we yield to one another. Now, just because the wife is told to submit does not mean that the husband is told to lead. Rather, what does it say? That the husband is the head of the wife. And, and what does that mean? The word there in Greek is kephale. And kephale in scripture means physical head, okay? The husband functions as the head. This physical head is to be understood as a, as a self-giving love and service within his relationship of mutual submission to his wife. Head does not mean servant leader, okay? Metaphors are beautiful but mysterious, but we usually don't like the ambiguity of metaphors, and so we want to make them black and white, which works against the very reason Paul is using a metaphor here. It's not meant to be translated literally. It's not meant to be defined and that can be a tension point. What does this mean? And, and we want to put some black and white words to it. But the thrust of this passage is submitting to one another. It's not for Christians to lead one another. The idea is that Christians assume a humble posture when personally relating to one another. Verse 24 is this biblical picture that the wife is commanded to submit or be subject to her husband in everything. And if she's the body and he's the head, how could she not be? They're connected. They have to be in the same page. She's attached to the head. Verse 25, Paul commands husbands to love their wives. 
Now, the cultural norm would have been for Paul to say, wives, obey your husbands. But Paul does not say that. He pushes against that patriarchal culture and says what? Husbands love their wives. Husbands love your wives. It doesn't say husbands lovingly lead your wives. Paul could have used that word. There's a word in Greek for that, but he does not. Just like Paul doesn't say Christ lovingly leads the church. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Christ loved with a sacrificial love. He loved in a way that he was publicly humiliating himself as he carried the cross and died on the cross That's the type of love Paul is saying that husbands are to have for their wives. See, the biblical directive here is for husbands to sacrifice for their wives. What does that look like for a husband to sacrifice for his wife? To give up his own preference, to be willing to yield, to choose to connect, to work towards understanding considering others above yourselves, walking with humility. You get into this this wonderful sort of dynamic here with mutual submission where the, the husband is the head and he's to love and sacrifice and the wife is the body is respect and submit. And so as you come together, the husband can, can lift up his wife and say, what do you want to do? What is your preference here? And he can offer his sacrifice. The wife can come under him and lift him up and said, no, what is your preference? How can we do this together? And you get this upbuilding of each other in relationship, each yielding to one another. And it's a beautiful picture. But what can happen oftentimes instead of this yielding and lifting up, it can be a grab for power. No, I want my way. I don't want to give up my way. I want to do it this way. No, I, and you, instead you have this pounding down of each other and grabbing for power and pulls apart this beautiful picture that Paul is trying to create. See, sacrifice and submissions are wonderful opportunity to draw closer, but our sin can get into the way and we can turn it into a power play. Some men can use these verses as an excuse to abuse their wives and children. Instead of loving them, they demand obedience. And that is not the biblical example that we see in the Bible. See, when a husband loves his wife, he's loving his own body. So how could he do anything to work against loving his own body? Because it's part of himself. You get this beautiful picture of loving that is so connected that he couldn't do anything against the wife because it's his own body that he would be doing it against. Now, most people's inclination is to to make choices that benefit themselves. But now the wife's preferences are a power of the husband's identity. By loving her, by sacrificing for her, he is loving himself. So there is no competition between the head and the body, but rather cooperation. I hope that makes sense. How does that work? How does that work in decision-making, okay? So 
we've touched on some of this. As you come to decisions, if there's not agreement, what do you do? In humility, consider the other one better than yourself. Neither is to dominate, but to act as servant of the other. Defer to each other. Seek to fulfill each other's preferences. What if you go through that and you're at a deadlock, right? Who gets the final word, right? And, and these are some of the things, these aren't original to me, but these are definitely things that Eric and I have put into practice um, as we have um, worked towards decision-making. The first is thinking about who is most affected by this decision, who has more expertise, availability, giftedness in the area of the decision itself. And if you're still not able to resolve it at that point, use methods of conflict resolution. Now, this isn't a, a sermon so much on, on marriage and how to do this, but I did want to just address this briefly um, in terms of giving some helpful guidance. All right? I want to shift gears here um, to talk about um, a passage in First Timothy. We've got lots of questions that have come in, and, and after this service, we'll have a Zoom Q&A because there's, there's just no way to address everything that we're walking through. But I do want to address this First Timothy passage, um, verses 8 to 15. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument, also that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for the women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no women to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing and provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. So what is Paul saying here? Some of this we addressed last time in terms of Eve and being deceived, whereas Adam's sin was actually willful. But why does Paul prohibit women from assuming authority to teach men here? See, there was an ongoing crisis in Ephesus, and he prohibits women from unauthorized assumption of authority for jumping in and taking authority when it was not their right to do so. So understand that women did not have the same access to education then. They were not taught in the ways of the Torah like the boys were and the men were. And so there's this new dynamic being created and there's a disturbance here in Ephesus specifically that Paul is speaking into. Now, grammatically in the Greek here, Paul is saying, I am not permitting. It's a verb that favors a presently ongoing prohibition, something that's happening right then over sort of a universal application of that. So Paul seems to be speaking in a specific issue at this time in a church in Ephesus. Paul is not prohibiting women. Now, Priscilla was also in Ephesus, and we see that in 2 Timothy 4.19, and we see in Acts 18 that that in fact, Priscilla was teaching men, actually correcting men in their wrong understanding of the gospel. So we know there's a conflict here between this verse and what Paul has said elsewhere. So that's when we see these conflicts, we have to get, there must be something going on at this time that he is addressing. And that seems to be what Paul is addressing in that situation. Now, I want us to, to scan back as we look at 1 Timothy 2, 
There are several, if we want to take a literal um, understanding of this verse, there are several unbiblical things that Paul is saying. First, the women are saved by the blood of childbearing rather than God's grace. That women are to receive instructions without practicing spiritual discernment. That women, unlike men, are not to wear gold wedding rings. <laughs> that men, unlike women, are to raise both hands when they pray. Now, maybe when we were reading through that passage, those things you already filtered out or put in some other category. But if we want to take literally that women are not supposed to use discernment as they're being taught, if we want to take literally that women are to be silent, then should we not also take literally all these other prohibitions? I would say no. They should raise questions for us to go, what is going on here? How do we understand this? How do we apply this for today? So we have to recognize that there's some distance between us and the original audience. We don't know all of what Paul is dealing with, but we can get hints at what this might have meant to the original audience. Okay? In Ephesians 4, Paul proclaims that God has given some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. It doesn't say God has given some men as pastors. It says God has given some people as pastors. So when we see a conflict between Paul's own words, it forces us to dig deeper to see why is he saying this over here. And finally, the Holy Spirit has the divine prerogative to distribute spiritual gifts to whomever he wills. And this is also from Paul. So in conclusion, before we go to worship and an interview with Pastor Brenda, just a recap that God's original intention was co-rulership for men and women. We see patriarchy as a, as a prediction of what will happen in the fall. We see many examples in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament as God's redemption takes forward. We're not to sort of live, you know, giving up to the consequences of the fall, like, oh, these bad things happen. Let's now actually lift up a result of the fall as our best way and keep patriarchy going. God is actually telling us the opposite. We at Community Church have, you know, practiced having women as a part of leadership at all levels and as pastors. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that who we are, and this is us. We practice the full inclusion of women, and that's a wonderful part of who we are. So we're going to um, go into worship. We're going to have a little interview with Pastor Brenda. After the service, there'll be a time for you to ask any more questions that you'd like. God, we thank you that you are here, that you help us to understand. God, we give you our worship. We come to you with hearts open. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, worship team, um, for that. And speak what is true is a good thing to lift up. And I'm so excited that we get to hear from Pastor Brenda. And let's just jump right in, uh, Brenda. Tell me about your experience as a woman pastor. Um, th thank you, Pastor Wee, for inviting me into this conversation. And thank you for preaching a message that I guess would have been a little bit more awkward for me to preach. Uh, um, you know, I think I'm going to begin with this term called the woman pastor. You know, so, you know, I would tell people, like, I mean, people would ask, so what do you do? Oh, um, I'm a pastor. Oh, a woman pastor? So I don't know, wait, can you tell me, um, when you tell people that, you know, I'm a pastor, do they go, oh, a male pastor? <laughs> Nobody has ever said that to me. 
<laughs> I just want to put it out there because you know um, most of you know that I I worked for about 20 years in the marketplace. You know, and every time I introduce myself, no one would go, "Oh, you're a, a female business person," or "Oh, you're a woman lawyer," and so. Um, you know, so just coming into ministry, being in the pastoral space, that was the first thing that I noted. You know that um, okay, so being a woman pastor is a thing in itself, a special category. And I have to say, um, it hasn't been all that easy. Um, mm. My journey. Tell me, tell us about some of those challenges. Yeah, I think maybe maybe I, I have to give you a little bit of background about how I grew up. So I grew up with pastors. In my church community, I mean, those pastors were both men and women, and they would do what they were gifted at, and like what you said just now about um, the, the prerogative mm -hmm. um, of the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, men or women, they would teach, preach, prophesy, heal, counsel, you know, the works. And it was just such a wonderful thing to see a community so alive with the Holy Spirit. Um, and then, so that was what I thought, you know, oh, this is how it works, this is how ministry works. Well, I still think that. Um, and then I, um, well, so, okay, let me pause a little bit here. Um, yeah, so, you know, so in my life, in the younger years, you know, I would do the same, like Holy Spirit says, do this, okay, and do that, okay. In my mind, there was never a thing that I could not do because if the Holy Spirit says, birth something, do it, um, teach, prophesy, do it. So many, many years later, you know, and I, I went to seminary, and in my last year of seminary, um, I began to pray about my calling, and, and God, you know, um, directed me to a pastoral space. At that time, before I found community, I was doing research, and I was looking around, and I realized that um, many roles, many pastoral roles were not open to women. Um, especially um, roles that had to do with um, teaching of any kind. And so that was my first bite of reality, you know. And, um, but God is good. God led me to community church um, where the leadership is very supportive of having a woman pastor. Thank you, Brenda. Now, um, as we were discussing the This Is Us series and the idea of having these last two weeks be about men and women, um, it prompted a little bit of an identity crisis in you. Tell, tell us about that. Um, yeah, so, well, I think, you know, while I do have a very, very supportive team, you know, and we have great supportive leadership here, um, I, I do live and breathe the air of the wider Christian community, both um, general, uh, the general Christian public and also um, perhaps the, in the ministry area. Um, so I think what I've, you know, I think it took me a while, I guess, to get there, to know mm. how I'm feeling. Some of you know that I'm a little bit slower in trying to discern or to be able to articulate my feelings. But I think what the journey has been like is that I've received many, many um, disdainful and very cruel words. Mm. Um, I've had people say to me outright, um, you shouldn't be up there or... Or, or they'll give me looks that I know, you know, that you don't belong here. And I can't tell you how many times people have said to me, both men and women, um, both um, people who are actually working in the church and people who are attending a church, how many people have said to me, um, 
Wow, so you actually do teach. Um, make sure you have a man in the room when you teach. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I laugh about it now, but I have to say that, um, you know, when you, I heard so much that eventually I think I began to, to well, identity crisis. I had an mm. identity, a huge identity crisis. I began to doubt myself. I've, I think I felt so diminished um, and so small that I, I, I think I was going to disappear somewhere. You know, I began to doubt my calling. I began eventually then to doubt, is that you, Holy Spirit? No, 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 I don't think that's you. Um, you know, to doubt uh, what God's saying to me. And so I think I was talking to someone, and so this person said I was socialized into an, another identity. And I think that identity, um, yeah, was a huge, that, was, I didn't feel like I was that person. Mm. Um, so a huge identity confusion. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for sharing that. And thanks you for being so sort of vulnerable in sharing the processing of that. How did you feel led to respond? Yeah. So, you know, I've had all kinds of feelings and emotions, right? It's like, oh, maybe this is not for me. Or maybe this or maybe that. But I think, you know, just um, coming into um, the presence of Jesus again and again, I feel, I feel led to be both bold um, or to respond with both, both boldness and humility. So to be bold, to speak the truth. Um, and that's really important because it reflects um, the heart of God, but also the truth in terms of, I don't think that God intends for any human being to be depersonalized like that. And so I think speaking the truth is very important, but also with humility. I mean, I mean, if you, like me, have been hurt before by people's words or actions, you will know that you know we, we become indignant first, right? But it's, I, I, in my experience, like indignance can easily turn to become wanting to be punishing or vindictive towards others, and I, I and it's a very fine line. And so, um, as I pray, as I wrestle, Jesus keeps inviting me into this, His space, His presence, and and He says to me, um, "Let me be your shield." Let me vindicate. And that's all very important because it's very easy to become hard-hearted mm. when we are hurt and when we just want to lash out. And I think keeping a soft heart um, is really important because, you know, just going back to the Holy Spirit, you know, after all, this is, this is not, I mean, it is about women. It's about um, what women's given to do and women's right. But ultimately, this is a spirit agenda. Mm. It's about the agenda of the Holy Spirit and about how we are part of that. And I don't want to forget that. And I think a soft heart uh, helps me to stay in that place. Mm. Thank you, Pastor Brenda, uh, for sharing uh, personally and for being a part of who we are at Community Church. I'm so glad that you are here uh, because of who you are and that we get to do ministry together, um, that we get to be a part of this community at Community Church. And uh, so, yeah, I'm so thankful that we get to sort of end this This Is Us series um, together. 